morning, church. Many of you uh, received a couple of letters this week, uh, one from me and one from the elders, uh, letting you know that I'm going to be in the process of moving on from Woodbury here in the future, searching for a new ministry opportunity. Uh, while that decision has been uh, very difficult on our family, uh, what I want you to know this morning is that we love you a great deal. We love this church, we love what this church is about, we love what this church stands for, um, and as long as I'm here, uh, I commit to serve you with love and integrity uh, as I've been trying to do all along. So let's, let's pray. Father God, um, just so grateful to be together this morning, so grateful for the opportunity to worship you to focus on you, to spend time reminding ourselves and reminding each other why we love you. God, you are so good, so gracious, so loving to us. And, and God, we just, we pray that in all that we do this morning that you will receive the glory. God, I pray for uh, the words that I'm about to share uh, to Motivate and encourage our church to be the people you're calling us to be, to be the disciples of Jesus that you want us to be. I pray this in his name. Amen. After a disciple group on Monday night, I was having a conversation with Matt Robinson, uh, as, as I'm prone to do, and he said something that's had me laughing about five times this week, uh, so I appreciate that. He said something along these lines. He said, having six kids has given me a lot of opportunities for growth. Right. The girls on the front row here are laughing at that too. <laughs> I think they recognize it. Nothing has exposed my strengths and weaknesses more than being a parent. So what I'm about to do is I'm about to say some things about Micah that won't picture him in the most flattering light. Um, I'm going to come around later and talk about some good things about him, but I want to I start here because I think it's, it's helpful. Had a really rough day with Micah a few weeks ago, just a really, really rough day. He was acting so bad that day, and it was a day that it was just me and him. It was a day that Lindsay was at work, and so Micah and I were trying to just get along, which is the best we could hope for that day. But so many things that day just rubbed me the wrong way, got me mad and frustrated with him. So first thing in the morning, what I do most days is I wake up and I make a cup of coffee and I sit there in my chair, drink coffee, and after I've prayed a little bit, after I've read a little bit, I turn on SportsCenter. It's what I do, it's part of my routine. Micah came in that morning at seven o'clock because he's not allowed to wake up until seven o'clock. And he comes in, and he sits on my lap, and he says, Dad, turn it to Disney. So I look and see what's on Disney, and it's garbage. Don't want to watch it, so being a responsible parent, I say no. And he falls apart. He just completely falls apart over that. 
Later on, we're, I'm getting ready, getting him ready for school, and we're talking about his upcoming birthday party. He had a birthday party last weekend. And so we were talking about this party that was on the horizon, how we had decided that it was going to be a Lego-themed birthday party. It was going to be great. He's turning six. It was perfect. And he was saying, I don't want that. I want to go to Sky Zone. No. This is much cheaper. <laughs> He was saying he wanted to go to Alamo. Same thing. He wanted to go to Chuck E. Cheese. No! These are terrible ideas. But I tell him no. I tell him no. And he falls apart. Later that day, I'm picking him up from school, and I needed to run to Target. And so I go to Target, and I'm, I'm, we're just going in to pick up two things. I tell him that. We're just going to pick up two things. But he asked, can we at least go play the Nintendo? And I'm like, well, of course, it's Target. You've got to go. So he and I decide that we're going to go play the Nintendo. And the way Target's set up now is that right across from the Nintendo are all the toys. I know. I, I understand. He begged, pleaded for 15 different things as we were walking through Target. And as a responsible parent, my answer is no. You don't need that thing. You don't even know what this thing is. He falls apart. Again. What we were in Target for was to get some things to make our dinner that night. He and I, I was making dinner at home. He says, I don't want that. Let's go to Culver's. <laughs> Which, you know, I had to consider for a moment. But the answer is no. We can't do that. We'd already bought the ingredients. And that night, as I was putting him to bed, just frustrated with him throughout the day, the last thing he says to me is, Dad, can I play on my tablet? No! <laughs> it doesn't make sense. So all that day, all day long, I felt like Micah had this deeply entitled attitude. And it was just under my skin all day. And so that night, after I'd put him to bed, after I was so frustrated, I sat down and I began praying about it. And God did the most frustrating thing in the world. He began revealing to me the ways that I, too, am entitled. Micah was asking if he could watch Disney, and I woke up and turned on SportsCenter. He wanted the exact same thing I was doing. Micah wanted to have his birthday party at a place, and, and he, it's because he wants to be out with people. He wants to go do things with people. He's all about doing things. And I go places with people all the time. Micah was begging for all those toys in Target, and I don't have to go and beg for things in Target. I just go and buy them. Nobody tells me no. It's not part of it anymore. He's begging to go to Culver's, and I can go to Culver's whenever I want. And sometimes I do. He's begging to use his tablet, something that we both do. He sees the value of the tablet because I've had a tablet and I use it all the time. I'm preaching off of my tablet right now. The reality of the situation is that Micah is entitled because I am 
entitled. I want us to turn in our Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6. It's a passage that we've gone to a few times over the last couple weeks. I'm going to be reading verses 17 through 19. Paul says, instruct those who are rich in this present age not to be arrogant or set their hope on the uncertainty of wealth, but to put their hope on God, who richly provides us with all things to enjoy. Instruct them to do what is good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and willing to share, storing up for themselves as a good foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of what is truly life. As I was wrestling that day with recognizing how entitled Micah was, and as I was preparing for this sermon, those two, these two ideas collided. One of the reasons that I am so entitled is because I am rich. I am rich. As I was praying about this, as I was considering this, it struck me that Paul's instructions is for those who are rich in the present age. And there are a lot of ways that we compare ourselves to others, a lot of ways that we say, well, I'm not as rich, or I'm not, I'm my rich, yeah, it's not quite rich. It's hard for most of us to get away from this passage. For those who are rich in the present age, That is us. That is most of us, at least. You see, I was thinking about it, and Lindsay and I both have good, stable incomes. We're a two-income family. We live well above the poverty line. I've never gone to bed hungry because I did not have food. I've gone to bed hungry because I'm too lazy to walk upstairs and get food, but I've never gone to bed hungry because I do not have food. I've never had to ask someone for financial help because we have a safety net. We have a group of people that we can ask for, that we can talk to about it, and they will provide us with the things that we need. The reality is I am rarely, if ever, backed into a corner because I always have options. Having some trouble with Lindsay's car. We talked about this last night. Just the light came on. We know something's up. We're afraid it's a transmission. And if it's a transmission, that means that fixing her car is going to cost more than the car is valued at. So we could be in the market for a car soon. We're talking about it, talking about money. We've got credit cards. We can get loans. We're never backed into a corner. And on top of that, I am a white male in a culture that is created for me to be successful. I am rich. I have wealth. And so as I was considering this, and I was listening to what Paul says in this letter to Timothy, as for those who are rich in the present age, it dawned on me that in light of my wealth, I don't know what it would look like to set my hope in God instead of my wealth. I'm not sure how to separate those two things, how to set my hope in God instead of my wealth. 
Told you I was going to come back around and brag about Micah a little bit, so, so here goes. Micah and I, most nights, when I put him to bed, we pray together. And for years, his prayer was pretty simple. I say for years, like probably two since he could speak. He's six, so for a while, his prayer was something like, thank you for mommy, thank you for me, thank you for daddy sometimes, thank you for a dog, <laughs> whatever. Very, very common. So what I wanted to do about six months ago was teach him the Lord's Prayer. And so most nights when he and I pray together, we pray together the Lord's Prayer. And I was thinking about it as he was praying it the other night, that in the Lord's Prayer, there's the line, give us this day our daily bread. And it dawned on me, when have I ever depended on God for bread? The reality is, for me to set my hope on God instead of wealth, I am going to have to begin considering my wealth differently. What if the wealth isn't mine at all? What if the money and resources that I have don't belong to me, but are simply an opportunity for me to bless someone? So we come back to this verse, 1 Timothy 6, where Paul says, Instruct them to do what is good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and willing to share. The command is to be generous, to be willing to share. Many of you have heard this next prayer. Um, this is called the Peace Prayer. It's often attributed or ascribed to St. Francis. Uh, I don't think that he actually wrote it, but it doesn't matter because it's a beautiful sentiment, a beautiful prayer. And it goes like this. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me so love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope where there is darkness, light, where there is sadness, joy. O Divine Master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive. It is in pardoning that we are pardoned, and it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. It's a beautiful, beautiful prayer. And the line in there that I think we ought to consider this morning is that it, it is in giving that we receive. In Acts 20, verse 35, Paul again is quoting Jesus, and he says, The Lord Jesus said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. I think we know this, I think we understand this, but for some reason we just struggle with this idea a little bit. There's a new T-Mobile commercial, have any of you seen it lately? I saw it during the Cowboys game on Thursday, and in this T-Mobile commercial what happens is that this kid gets a phone for Christmas and they ask the question, is it really better to give than to receive? And I want to scream at the TV, yes! because it makes my sermon better. 
But I think it's true. Timothy's instructions from Paul are to be generous and willing to share. I want to conclude our time this morning by talking about two stories. The first one's of John Wesley. It happened in the 1700s. And the second one's going to be about Lindsay. John Wesley grew up poor. Uh, His dad was a minister in the poorest part of England, in the poorest parish. He was just dirt poor. His dad was taken off uh, to beggar's prison, is what they would call it at the time, just because he didn't have money. He couldn't pay for things. So when John Wesley decided that he was going to be a minister as well, he assumed that that meant he was going to be extremely poor. So his first call was to a little school in Oxford, where he was going to become a professor of sorts. And he was paid 30 pounds a year, which at the time was a really good salary, particularly for a single person. And so having more money than he knew what to do with, the first things that he would purchase were playing cards, tobacco, and brandy, just like any good minister does. So one day he goes to the market and he sees these two pictures. And they're these beautiful pictures that he says, this is what my room needs. And he buys these two pictures. And that night as he's putting the pictures on the wall, a chambermaid comes to his door. It was a cold winter day and he saw that all she was wearing was this thin linen gown. And so he reaches into his coat pocket to give her the money to buy a coat. And he notices that he does not have enough money for her to buy the coat. So he asks himself, how can God be pleased with this? After that, in 1731, Wesley began limiting his expenses so that he could give more money to the poor. It became part of what he became known for. And so the first year when he's doing this, he makes 30 pounds. And he says, I need 28 pounds to live on and 30 pounds total, so two pounds will go to the poor. Well, the next year, his income doubles. But he kept living on 28 pounds and gave away 32 pounds that year. In his third year, he makes 90 pounds, but he says, I can live on 28. And he does, and he gives the rest away. At the height of his career, Wesley was making 1,400 pounds and living on 30. He wrote to one of his friends, he said, When I die, if I leave behind me ten pounds, you and all mankind may bear witness against me that I have lived and died a thief and a robber. I've heard that story before, maybe you have as well. But that story is so convicting to me. Raises the question within me, what opportunities have I missed because I put my own pleasure before someone else's needs? And so as we're spending some time together this morning, reflecting on the story, reflecting on the command to be generous and willing to share, I have two questions that I think would be helpful for us to reflect on. And I'm just going to ask you to reflect on this on your own, to spend some time considering At the end of the year, we often ask ourselves questions about how the last year was, and so maybe this is a good question for us. How have I increased my standard of living this year? 
How have I increased my standard of living? What have I bought for myself to make my life better? The other side of the question, I think, is also important. How have I increased my standard of giving this year? We are called to be generous. How have we grown in that way? Again, in 1 Timothy 6, verses 17 through 19, Paul says, Instruct those who are rich in this present age not to be arrogant or set their hope on the uncertainty of wealth, but to hope on God, to put their hope on God, who richly provides us with all things to enjoy. Instruct them to do what is good, to be rich in good works, and to be generous and willing to share, storing up for themselves as a good foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of what is truly life. As we reflect on the passage and as we reflect on the stories, I can only speak for me. I believe God is calling me to change the way I relate to money. And I'm wondering if maybe he's inspiring you to do the same. I want to share a story with you about Lindsay this past week, um, a way that I've seen this. I think when we talk about generosity, it's great, and we think, oh yeah, I should be more generous, but what does it look like? I had a firsthand example of it this week. Last Saturday night, Lindsay and I were talking together about a really good deal on some high-end toothbrushes from Costco. Real exciting stuff. It's a married person conversation if you've ever had one. We talked about going and purchasing these toothbrushes that were going to be such a good, good deal. On Monday, Lindsay was talking with a friend who is a single mom and is working at the hospital where Lindsay works. And she was going to be working thanks, uh, the Wednesday night into Thursday morning of Thanksgiving. And Lindsay was telling me that this, this mom usually goes home to her baby after working this long shift, she's got a newborn baby. And she was telling me about how tired this mom just seemed to her. So by Wednesday, this mom calls Lindsay and we're watching, I say we're, Lindsay is watching the baby overnight for this mom so she could work and then sleep. The reason I brought up the toothbrush thing in the beginning is because I asked Lindsay later in the week, are, are you going to go purchase those? And her response to me was, no, I'm going to spend the money on getting this woman a gift card. And she did, right, oh, yeah. I'd be lying if we said we always make those kind of decisions in our home. We don't. But we never regret it when we do. We never regret being generous Somehow we know that it is life-giving. It is the life that is truly life. So let me encourage you, if you want to live a life that is truly life, if you want to store up for yourselves a lasting treasure for the future, you're going to have to be generous. Let's pray. God, I thank you for for your generosity towards us. God, more than anything, we see how much you love us and how much you're willing to give for us. And we're just grateful. God, you have blessed many of us with just tremendous blessings, with, with all sorts of wealth and, 
and just material blessings. So God, I, I pray that as we look at those things, as we receive them as blessings, that we also learn to give them as blessings. God, help us to be generous, just as you are generous. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.